Well, amen. He is risen. Amen. Man, I cannot wait uh, to preach to you guys uh, today. Uh, I was finishing up uh, my sermon uh, last night, and once I got done, I uh, was trying to get to sleep, uh, but man, I could not get to sleep. You know, sometimes I struggle to get to sleep because I have all sorts of things on my mind. I'm stressing about whatever. Uh, stressful job uh, being a pastor, shepherd uh, of God's children. Uh, but last night, I, I couldn't get to sleep, not because of stress, but because of pure excitement. I just wanted Sunday morning to be here already because I literally could not wait uh, to preach God's word uh, to you all this morning. So I hope you guys are ready, receptive uh, to hear uh, what God has spoken through me and to you all. But it's a glorious uh, day that we come together uh, to celebrate as a church. As Resurrection Sunday serves as the finale to the greatest week in all of history. If you were here with us uh, last Sunday, we, we brought out a huge timeline that pretty much stretched from one wall to the other wall. Um, and, and within this huge timeline, there were many, many, many great things that have taken place. A lot takes place in, in, in a handful of thousands of years in, in recorded history of mankind. But of all the major events that have took place in the past thousands and thousands of years, nothing even comes close to this week that we celebrate. I mean, we're, 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 we're miles away of how separated this miraculous, this huge week is compared to every other event in all recorded of mankind history. And this huge week that we've been talking about this past week started with Palm Sunday last Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate when Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the, like the capital city for the Jews. And this was going to be the last time that Jesus was going to enter the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus, he rode a donkey into uh, the city of Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, 9, uh, where it was telling the Israelites that your king is going to come riding to you on a donkey. And so Jesus was humbly proclaiming that, listen up, guys, I am your king. I am here. And the, shout, and the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so that was last Sunday, what we talked about on Palm Sunday. And then if you're here with us uh, this past Friday, we celebrated or we remembered Good Friday. And man, Friday was an emotional day. As on Friday, we, we remember Jesus being mocked. We remember Jesus being beaten. We remember him being spit on and slapped and humiliated. And last but not least, we remember when Jesus was hung on that cross for six hours. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was a really, really emotional day. It's a love story of a heavenly father, a loving father who laid his own son down it was his will, we read that in Isaiah in the Suffering Servant song, it was his own will that his son be crushed and pierced for our wickedness, for our sins. So it's a love story about a heavenly father who laid his son down for you because God loves you. No matter what your home life may look like, 
No matter how many friends you have, if you have loving, caring friends, or if you have no friends, no matter what your life may look like, you have a God. You have a heavenly Father who loves you. And nobody can take that away from you. And we saw the, the raw emotion and the love as we talked about that this past Friday on Good Friday as Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world. And all we have to do is accept that sacrifice with, sacrifice with a living and active faith. And if we do, we can partake in God's coming kingdom where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And so Palm Sunday and Good Friday, it all culminates with Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is the climax of the greatest week in all of history. So today we're not only talking about the greatest week in all of history, but we're talking about the single greatest event that has ever happened on earth. The single great, I mean, there, there is no better topic to talk about, which I'm so grateful that you guys came here this morning to talk about this phenomenal event that took place a couple thousand years ago. And so we're going to talk about this greatest event, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see why it really is so, so important to us. Before we do that, I just want to go ahead and take a few minutes of retelling the actual story of Resurrection Sunday. So if we, if we all rewind a couple thousand years ago, Jesus died on Friday at around three in the afternoon after hanging on the cross for about six hours. And so shortly after uh, Jesus died, a man uh, by the name of Joseph uh, buried Jesus in his own personal tomb. Now, this is a very, very important uh, detail because it was customary in, in this Roman uh, government when someone was crucified, when, when they would uh, be punished by hanging on the cross and, and die and suffer on that cross, oftentimes either the body would be left on the cross to just rot or a lot of times the bodies would just be thrown into a pit with the rest of the other vile criminals that have done wicked things. But fortunately, Jesus was not buried along with just a big pit of people. If Jesus was buried in a big pit of other people, there would be no way of telling, or a lot of people would make the point, that there'd be no way of telling if his body was missing or not because they're all, I mean, it's a gross image. We can all imagine how that, that gross image of these bodies just decaying. But fortunately, Jesus had his own tomb. And so anybody, anybody who was alive then, they could go walk to his tomb, and if the stone was rolled away, they could either identify that, yes, Jesus, his body is there, or B, no, his body really is not there. And so he got this, uh, his own personal tomb. They rolled a big stone in front of uh, this tomb, uh, which was customary uh, for expensive tombs, as they wanted to ensure that nobody would remain uh, with, uh, that nobody would mess with the remains of the body. And so that's what happened with the tomb of Jesus. He had his own personal tomb with a big stone rolled in front of it, in front of the entrance. 
And so that was all on Friday. On the following day, on Saturday, uh, which is the Sabbath, the day of rest for the Israelites, the chief priests, the, the, the top-notch guys of the Israelites, uh, went to Pilate, the governor, who had Jesus crucified, and he went to Pilate to make sure that Jesus' tomb was well guarded. Because they remembered when Jesus was still alive, they remembered that he said he was going to rise on the third day. And the chief priests wanted to make sure that Jesus' body did not go missing because then it would create a huge uprising. And that's exactly what they didn't want because these chief priests in particular, they did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the son of God. And they didn't want people following this guy named Jesus from uh, Nazareth. And so they want to make sure that they could identify that Jesus' body was laying in the tomb. And so they went to Pilate and Pilate told them they could go send a guard to secure the tomb. A typical guard had around four soldiers. Two guards uh, would stay awake and they would uh, make sure nothing took place while the other two uh, got some rest and then they would cycle. And so someone was always watching 24-7 in a guard. And it would, it would not surprise me if they had more than the uh, traditional uh, four guys as a guard as uh, Jesus created quite a big uprising. So that happened on Saturday. And then... Sunday rolls along. And that's where we pick up this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through uh, your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, that's all right. The, the verses will be projected uh, behind me. But Matthew, we pick up here in Matthew chapter 28 on Sunday. And so it reads in verse 1 of chapter 28, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And in, uh, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. So what we uh, see here is there's Mary Magdalene and there's this other M Mary. Uh, scholars don't universally agree on who this other Mary is. Mary was a pretty uh, common name uh, back in uh, the day. And, uh, but regardless, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke talks about how they came to finish preparing the body. As Mary Magdalene and this other Mary, they went on Friday after Jesus was crucified, and they went to go uh, prepare his body with, with the ointments and the whole shebang. Um, but they ran out of time because of the Sabbath, because the Sabbath actually started on Friday evening, and they couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. So they had to pause their work from a day and a half ago, and they come Sunday morning fully expecting to see Jesus as uh, they were finishing preparing the body. And lo and behold, there was a great earthquake. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord descends from heaven to earth. And this angel of the Lord rolls the stone away and sits on it. Now, the stone wasn't uh, rolled away to let Jesus out of the tomb. Jesus was already out of there, as we'll see there in a minute. In John uh, 20, uh, verse 9, we see that Jesus' resurrected body uh, could pass through uh, material uh, barriers. Uh, fascinating. But the stone was rolled away so that the people, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they could see that the tomb was empty. And so in verse 4, if we continue here, uh, Matthew writes, And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Amen. 
As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. So Jesus has risen from the grave. The angel is there to tell Mary Magdalene and the other Mary that, don't worry, I know who you are seeking. I know you're coming to prepare the body of Jesus, but guess what? He is not here, for he is risen. And so, for he is risen indeed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so they, uh, so they went to go, Mary, the, the two Marys, they went to go run to tell the disciples of Jesus. And I love that because the older I get, uh, the less I find uh, myself running. Basically, really, the only time that I find myself running is when I'm running around our kitchen table yelling, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you with our son, Ezra. Uh, Other than that, I don't really uh, run around much. But these ladies, they were so excited about this message that they didn't mosey around to go tell the disciples. They didn't jog. But no, they ran. They ran to tell the disciples because they were so excited that Jesus had risen from the grave. And so these last two verses that we'll read here, verse 9 reads, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. These are the two ladies as they're on their way. And he said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I love that image of these two Marys running on their way to go tell the disciples that Jesus had risen, and on their way, lo and behold, their resurrected Savior is standing there. Jesus has greetings, and they bow down and worship him at his feet. What a beautiful image. Oh, I love that. And so that's the story of the resurrection. That's what took place. Jesus, uh, we can read in in these different gospel accounts, Jesus then went to go spend time uh, with his disciples. And Jesus actually, he ministered here on earth for another 40 days. For 40 days, we can read in the book of Acts, uh, Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. That, That was the heart of his ministry. That was the heart of his message. He spent 40 days preaching about the kingdom And then he ascended to the heavens at the end of those uh, 40 days. And Paul talks about this, how uh, Jesus, he appeared to over 500 people. So in between his resurrection and when he ascended to heaven, where he's sitting at the right hand of God right now, he saw over 500 people. That's pretty cool because if you were alive back then, you could have had a personal eyewitness, a personal testimony of people saying, yeah, I saw him. He is alive. He is risen. He is no longer resting in the tomb. That would be an incredible sight to see. And it's also important because that can help prove that Jesus really was alive. Because if he wasn't, there was 500 people who could have said, yeah, no, he's not really alive. But no, eyewitnesses are powerful. They are very, very powerful. And 500 people backed up this testimony that, yeah, you better believe Jesus had risen from the grave because we saw him with our own two eyes. And so that is is the wonderful, wonderful story of the resurrection. That's what we come here today to celebrate, that Christ has risen from the grave. He is no longer resting in that tomb. Praise God. And so as we focus on this story of resurrection, there there are two big questions that I want to consider this morning as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. 
And these two big questions that I find myself asking a lot in all sorts of different circumstances, they are, so what? And now what? So what? So what that Jesus rose from the grave 2,000 years ago? Why is that so important? Why is that a big deal? Why does Pastor Kyle say that's the greatest event in all of history? So what? Who cares that Jesus rose from the grave? So we're going to take a look at that. We're, we're going to attempt to answer the question of so what? Why is it so important that Jesus did really resurrect from the grave? And the second question is, now what? This happened about 2,000 years ago, long before any of us were ever alive or a twinkle in our parents' eyes. Um, so, so now what? Now what? This, this is long history. This happened a long, long time ago. What's in store for us now, today, in the 21st century? What do we have to look forward to? And so we're going to answer those two questions this morning about the resurrection of Jesus, so what, and now what? So if we start with so what? Fortunately, we can find this answer of so what, why it's so important uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 15, we're double dipping a, a bit from this morning uh, from uh, Jacob in the sunrise uh, service. Chapter 15 uh, is known as the resurrection uh, chapter. And, uh, and Paul tells us so what? Paul tells us why we should respect and value the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus, so much. So we're going to be uh, starting here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be starting in verse 17. But before this point, I, I wish we could uh, read more of it. But just for the sake of time, we have a lot to talk about. I'll just cue you in into what uh, Paul is talking about uh, beforehand. Uh, in the verses leading up to this, Paul addresses the fact that some people don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That is the Sadducees. That was a sect of the Jews who didn't believe that uh, there is a resurrection that we have to look forward to. And so Paul addressed this, and he talks about this, this uh, concept of resurrection. And Paul said that if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. If Christ had indeed not resurrected from the grave, then what we're doing here it's all in vain. It's useless. It's meaningless. There's no value in anything that we do here as a church if Christ indeed had not been resurrected from the church. And Paul continues and says, if Christ had not been resurrected from the grave, then you and I, we are misrepresenting God. And that is not a place where I want to be. I, I want to accurately and truthfully represent who our God is to those around us. And so Paul, he continues to drive home this point in verse 17. And Paul writes, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Strong words. If Christ had not been resurrected, Paul says, of all the people on earth, we Christians are the people to be pitied the most out of every single person alive here on earth. And, but what really speaks to me here is verse 17, where he says, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
Romans 3.23 states that for all have sinned. Every single, per, every single human being outside of Jesus Christ has sinned in their life. We read that in Romans 3.23. And then we also read in just three chapters later that the wages of sin is death. And so Paul says, if Christ had not been resurrected, we are all still in our sins. In other words, we deserve, we reap the consequences of our sin. And that is death. That's burning in the lake of fire, eternal destruction. That's, that's, a, that's a place uh, we do not want to be. Now we ask, how in the world could Paul make this claim? How could he say, if Christ had not resurrected from the grave, that we would still be in our sins? Because didn't Jesus die on Good Friday? Well, the thing is, if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the grave, then he is not who he said he was. Then he was certainly not the son of God. Then he was certainly not the Christ. And he was certainly not sinless. And if he wasn't sinless, then his sacrifice on the cross cannot pay for the sins of you and I. Because Jesus himself said, that the Son of God, he himself, was going to be resurrected on the third day. We read about prophecies in the Old Testament foretelling of this Christ, the Messiah, this anointed one, who is going to establish God's kingdom and rule forever. How are you going to rule forever if you are dead in a tomb? You can't. And so if Jesus had not been resurrected, he would not be the Christ. He would not be the Son of God. And the cross would be pointless. It would all be in vain. And you and I, we would still be in our sins. We would have a dark future ahead of us. But praise be to God. Praise be to God. That on Sunday, Christ victoriously rose from the grave. And that tells us that, hey, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, he really was the Christ. He really was sinless. He really was the son of God. And his sacrifice was an atoning sacrifice. It was an appropriate sacrifice for our sins. And so that if we accept the sacrifice in our life, we can have eternal life and we can dwell forever in God's coming kingdom. Praise be to God. That is so what? That is why the resurrection is so important today in the 21st century. Because without the resurrection, you and I, uh, we, we, we are not uh, in good hands right now. Our whole faith rests on the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys understand how we can make that point from point A to point B? We're saying if Jesus had not been resurrected, then we'd all be in our sins. I hope you guys can draw that conclusion and see why this resurrection is so, so important in our lives today, 2,000 years later after the fact. So that is, that, that's the answer to our so what. Why do we celebrate this resurrection of Jesus year in and year out, week by week, month by month, day by day? It's because our whole entire faith rests on the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And so the second question that we've got to ask ourselves about this resurrection of Jesus is now what? 
A lot of times, uh, Jamie and I, we live uh, far away uh, from our families. We moved here uh, to Ohio uh, to, uh, so that we could, uh, so I could be your guys' pastor. Um, and we're uh, hosting our families pretty periodically. And uh, I'm constantly like wanting to make sure my family has the best time while they're here. So about every 15 minutes, I'm going, now what? Now what? I got to keep my family entertained. Now what? Now what? Now what are we going to do? I'm sure they are annoyed by me always asking now what. My wife could probably attest that she probably hears that phrase out of my mouth a hundred times when our families come to visit because I'm always in the present. Now what? Now what are we going to do with the information that we have? And so as we deal with this resurrection, now what? What is in store for us now that this took place a couple thousand years ago? Fortunately for us, again, Paul comes in the clutch here. Paul answers this question again for us in the same chapter. In chapter 15, in the next verse, we'll continue here, and Paul answers this question of, now what? And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man comes death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul here, he brings it back to the very beginning of Adam and Eve. A lot of us may be familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, and that is when sin entered into the world. With the first human beings here on earth, sin entered into the picture. And the wages of that sin is death. And so through one man, through Adam, all die. But then, but then Paul says, also in Christ shall all be made alive. As Christ served as the atoning sacrifice, the appropriate sacrifice for our sins. It's a sufficient sacrifice. It worked for you and I. We, if we accept that sacrifice, we no longer have to pay the wages of our sins. So that, that's, a pretty, that, that's pretty symmetrical. One man brings death to all. And one man brings life to all, eternal life to all, nevertheless, to, to all those who accept uh, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Paul continues in uh, verse 23, and he says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to him, those who belong to Christ. So Christ, he was the first one to be raised to eternal Life. That's what we celebrate here on Resurrection Sunday, that he was raised to eternal life. Jesus conquered death. No longer is Jesus ever going to experience death in his life. God gave him power and authority over death. But Paul tells us that Christ is just the first fruits. He's just the first. There is more to come. Paul says that uh, at his coming, at Christ's coming, those who belong to Christ, we will be raised to eternal life as well. So right now, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But when Christ descends from heaven to earth, every Christian who has been alive, every single person who has put their faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, they're going to raise from the ground to eternal life. <laughs> Amen, that's right. What an incredible scene that will be. I cannot wait for that day. We're at his coming. Those who have faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, they will conquer death. And so if we continue here in verse 24, Paul writes, then comes the end. So after Christians are raised from the grave, then comes the end. 
when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's my Savior. That's my Lord. That is your Savior. Then comes the end where he is going to destroy every rule, every authority, and every power that opposes him and his father because God has granted him that power. That is your Lord. That is your Savior. He has power today. And when he comes back to earth, when he descends from heaven to earth, he is going to display that power for everyone to see. For God has granted him all authority and power under heaven. Marvelous. Marvelous. And then comes the clincher in verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. How many of you are sick and tired of seeing the enemy of death overpower your loved one? Raise your hand if that's you this morning. If you are sick and tired of seeing the enemy of death overpower your loved ones. I would dare say that nearly every, if not nearly every, if not every single person in this room has been brought to tears because of the enemy of death. I would dare say that nearly every, if not every single person in this room has been brought to our knees because of the enemy of death. We've been lost for words because of the enemy of death. We've been heartbroken because of the enemy of death. There is no way around the truth. Excuse my language. Death sucks. Death sucks, man. It is painful to see your loved ones bite the dust. But let me tell you, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Christ is going to defeat death once and for all. And we all will be able to taunt death itself. And we'll sing, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where? You've been swallowed up in victory. I cannot wait to taunt death in its face. Because one day when Christ is coming back from heaven to earth, we are going to have power. We are going to have victory over death once and for all. Can I get an amen this morning? I cannot wait for that day. That's going to come after Jesus. He's taken the enemy of Satan, of the devil, the one who's been tempting us from the beginning of time, and Jesus is going to crush Satan. I cannot wait for that day. Our God has power, and our God has given that power over to his son, Christ Jesus. And nobody is going to stand a chance. Nobody is going to even begin to imagine standing standing a chance against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his heavenly Father whom granted him all of that power and all of that authority. He's going to exert victory over the devil. He's going to exert victory over those who follow the patterns of the world. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to be standing on the other side, on the other team of Christ Jesus, because that is a losing team. I hate losing. I'm a competitive guy. I love winning, and I do not want to be on the losing side of this all-important battle. This is what's at stake for us today. This is what we ask when we ask ourselves, now what? This is what we have to look forward to. We put our hope in this today. We put our hope that Jesus right now, he, he's sitting at the right hand of God, and God is patient. He's patiently awaiting all of his people to come to him. And when everybody that, that would accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God is going to send his son Jesus down from heaven to earth. And I cannot wait for that day. Paul talks about uh, what this day uh, will look like in in verse 51. If we jump way down in uh, chapter 15, Paul tells us, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall, we shall be changed. For this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. In the twinkling of an eye, in the snap of a finger, we're going to be raised perishable to imperishable, and we will have victory over death, and we'll be singing together, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I cannot wait for that day. And so that is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. That's the so what. So what and now what? Two vital questions that we've got to have answers to. And when we understand the so what and the now what, we can begin to understand that yes, this resurrection, this resurrection alone is the single greatest event in all of history. And our friends, our families, coworkers, bosses, spouses, children, you name it, they've gotta hear what took place. They have to hear about the greatest event in all of history. And you've all heard it this morning. And so you all have a responsibility. You have that responsibility to share this good news. This is the gospel message of the cross, of the resurrection, and of the coming kingdom. That is the gospel message. And so that Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus, the the single greatest event in all of history. But me, I'm looking forward to two days in the future that are going to top this. There's going to be two days in the future that are going to top this day of Resurrection Sunday. The first day that I look forward to that I think will top the greatest event in all of history to this point is the day in which Christ descends from heaven to earth. And not only is one man going to be resurrected from the grave, but millions upon millions of people are going to be resurrected from the grave to eternal life. That is going to be a magnificent day. And the second day that I look forward to that I think will top this Resurrection Sunday is the day where once and for all, the enemy of death is defeated. Can I get an amen? He is risen. Let's pray. 
Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your love that you have for us, your love that was demonstrated by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Father, we thank you. We give you praise that you gave your son, Jesus, power and victory over death. And Father, we cannot wait for that day where we too will have victory over death and we'll be resurrected to eternal life. We'll partake of your coming kingdom with you, Father. Father, we cannot wait to see you face to face. I cannot wait to give you a big hug, Father. I cannot wait to give my Lord and Savior a big hug, Father. And Father, until that day, until that glorious day, I pray that you watch over this church. I pray that you bless this church. I pray that you use this church as an instrument to expand your coming kingdom, that we can bring in our family, we can bring in our friends, and they can partake in your coming kingdom as well. And so, Father, we love you. We give you all, all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. You are so deserving. It's in Jesus' precious and holy and powerful name that we pray. Amen.